I thought, what can I preach in 15 minutes? I thought, not very much. So I'm going to do an overview. The notes are at the back. Um, if you want to grab those, they are there for you. Um, but I, I just want to look at the last eight chapters of Romans that we've been studying through. And as we've looked through Romans chapter 1 through to chapter 8, we've begun to discover that Paul is giving us an overview of the normal Christian life. He's presenting to us what it means to be a Christian. And I'm not too sure about you, but I know for me, I had no idea what being a Christian was. It's taken me <coughs> a long time for me to get my head around what God is actually doing in me and in us, and what his plans for the church are. And Paul's writing to the church in Rome. It's a church struggling with a whole lot of issues. They're theological issues. They're practical issues. It's struggling with its identity. It's asking the questions, who are we? What's our role? How can we fulfill our calling in, in a hostile world? We sometimes get the wrong impression of the early church. We sort of, sort of go into our fantasy world and think of Hillsong multiplied by 64, and we think the early church was like that, not there, all right? We are in the wrong planet. Um, if, you, if you looked at our church today, the early church would be thrilled to be a, a gathering like this. We get an impression that that first sermon of Peter's where thousands were saved, that that was normal and happening everywhere people went, that the revival in Ephesus was normal. But what was normal was a little gathering of people, maybe 10, maybe 15 maybe six in a home, worshipping God and serving God with all their hearts and all their mind and all their strength, maybe two, maybe three families. That was normal. And what we see today is a, is a, is a greater demonstration of the power of God than has ever been seen on the planet. Do you realize the church is bigger today than it's ever been? We, we think, look at the church in the Western context, and we think the church is struggling. The church is not struggling across this world. The church is enormous. In Africa, the church is well over 40 to 50% of the population. And the population of Africa is moving towards the billions. The church is huge. The church is flourishing. The church is transforming the society it dwells in. And so we look at this church in Rome, a church struggling with its identity, a church living in a, in a difficult place. Rome was probably one of the hardest places apart from Corinth to establish the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul starts right at the beginning with this church. He starts with the gospel, the good news. And for all of us, that's where it starts. It starts with the good news. And the good news is not a message. The good news is a person. I think we have been, we have been sort of fooled into, into wrong thinking here. We think the gospel, I'm going to go and preach the gospel. We think preaching the gospel is preaching a message. It is not. It is preaching a person. It is sharing what a person has done for me. It is sharing what Jesus has done for me. The gospel is Jesus healed my body when I was sick. The gospel is Jesus was my friend when I was lonely. The gospel is Jesus has healed my heart when I was broken. That's the good news. That's the gospel, what Jesus has done for you and I. And every single one of us have a story, many stories, many testimonies of what Jesus has done for us. The good news, the gospel. So the church starts with good news. 
And why do we need good news? Because we live amongst bad news. The world is broken. So Paul, in the book of, beginning of the book of Romans, starts with a broken world. A broken world that needs good news. And he shows us that humanity is created by God, went its own way. And as a result, mankind that was created in the image of God was totally and completely busted. The things that are going on in our society happen because we are broken people. Not bad people, we are broken people. People who do bad things aren't bad people, they're just broken people. You, when you do bad things, aren't a bad person, you're just a broken person. The problem is with that kind of brokenness is we can't fix ourselves. We're in a hopeless state, unfixable. And that's where Romans starts, a, man, a, 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 a world that is unfixable, a world that is broken. And into this world, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to fix the mess. And if I, you know, if, if I went into my little fantasy world and I sort of schemed up a way of fixing the mess, I wouldn't have done it the way God did it. You know, I would have just waved a magic wand or said a magic word and kapow, the whole thing would have been fixed. But that's not God. God came and lived amongst us. Emmanuel. God with us. He came and lived in the middle of our brokenness. He felt our pain. He felt our trials. He felt our suffering. He walked through it with us and then died on the cross on our behalf. God died so that we could be free. Jesus died so that we could be free. Jesus is, a, is the third member of the Godhead, Father, Son, second member, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He died on our behalf. He died on a rough Roman cross so that we could be free. He said, God sent his Son to fix our brokenness, and that's the good news. The good news is that broken people can be fixed as they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Romans teaches us. Jesus came as our Redeemer to pay the price to set us free. We looked at that. We looked at when Jesus died on the cross, he purchased our freedom with his life. If we are in bondage to anything, Jesus paid the price for us to be free. He's the answer to our freedom. Counseling can help. 12-step methods can help, but only Jesus can set us free. On the cross, Jesus became our atonement offering. His blood covered our godlessness, our willful rebellion against God. He paid the price for our forgiveness. That's the message of Romans. We live a life where we just feel guilty. Jesus paid the price for us to be free from that guilt. The things that we have done in the past, over and gone when we trust in what Jesus has done. See, the other message of Romans chapters 1 through 8 is the message of faith. All of that is, a, is wonderful. Good news is wonderful, but you've got to accept it. And this is humanity's problem. We can, we can say, oh God, that's very nice, but I don't choose to accept that. I don't choose to believe that. It is our choice whether we accept what Jesus has done on the cross for us, or whether we reject it. And if you look at the book of Revelation, if you go right to the end of the story, we find mankind still in the face of judgment, in the face of hell on earth, mankind shaking their fist at God and, and telling him, we're not interested. 
things don't change much. Mankind still has to open our hearts. We still have to say, God, I receive what you have done for me. Even though I, in my thinking it looks and sounds ridiculous. Now, let's be honest. When we think of the, the cross, when we think of a, a, a one incident 2,000 years ago that it could fix everything for humanity, our human mind says that is ridiculous. And yet God chose the ridiculous to solve our mess. And it's up to us to humble ourselves and say, God, I choose to accept what you have done for me. So the message of Romans is a message of faith. It's by faith we are saved. It's by choosing to trust in what God has done. It's not choosing to do things our own way, but choosing to do things his way. The message of faith. And then Paul moves on to show us that before God, something has happened. As we, by faith, accept what God has done for us on the cross, we are declared by God to be in the right. We're justified. We're made righteous. And for, for 20, 30 years, I, I, I sort of struggled with that word righteous. I, I, I looked at myself and I thought, well, yeah, I, I get what the Bible says, but I don't, I don't look righteous, I don't act righteous, I don't feel righteous. It's not about behavior it's about standing before God. That word righteous is a legal word. He says, you, you, he's saying you have been declared in the right. God no longer holds anything against you. There is no penalty hanging over your head. Your past is over and gone. You are declared to be in the right. And I find that incredibly freeing. That I can come with all of my brokenness before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, Jesus, I trust in what you have done for me on the cross. I can come before him and say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And from that point onwards, everything I was is no longer taken into account. Everything I did wrong is no longer taken into account. I am from that moment on free from all blame. Isn't that amazing? Think about parents. Think about your kids. <laughs> your kids do something really quite awful. And as a parent, you lovingly forgive them, but as a human being, something still sticks. Huh? You can forgive, but you can't forget. You remember what the little toad did. <laughs> and it's just sort of there, you know. And as husbands and wives, come on, here's a, here's a good one. One of you does something wrong, and lovingly you forgive, but the next time they do something wrong, what do you bring up? Huh? Oh, yes, you do. You bring up what they did last time. You never, you always, this is always happening. You never take out the rubbish tin, and I can guarantee he'll remember the one time he did. Hmm? See, us, hum us human beings can't forget. But this is the amazing thing about God. When we come to Jesus at the cross, when we surrender our lives to him, when we ask for his forgiveness, not only does he forgive, but it's forgotten. The Bible tells us that our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. You can talk to God all you like about what you were like, and he can't remember. It's gone. It's gone. You are now 
if you have trusted in what Jesus has done for you and accepted his sacrifice on the cross, you are now totally, gloriously free. The devil can stand before God and remind God about who you were and what you have done and what a horrible person you are. And God looks at Jesus and he says, in the right. Free. No blame. So you shut up. The truth, that's the glorious truth of Romans. There is no penalty standing against you and I. You say, oh, what about if I sin again? All you've got to do is come back to the cross, bring it to him, say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. And do you know what? It's God again. It's Magic Max's most famous trick. You know, gone. Not up his sleeve, but gone. And most of us don't live our lives like that. We live our lives in remembrance of all we have done wrong. We blame ourselves. We, we, we beat ourselves up. And God says, what are you wasting your time for? It's gone. Over. So we have free access to the throne of God. Nothing now stands between us. And the last thing we looked at in Romans chapter 8 is that not only does God forgive us, not only does he set us free, not only do, is the, are, are our sins gone from us, no, no, not only uh, no longer are we blamed or anything like that, but also he puts his Holy Spirit within us. Why? So that that which is before God can become reality in our lives. That the, that the, that the, the righteousness of you are in the right, can now become within our actions. We can begin to change. We can begin to change from nasty to nice. We can begin to change into God's image, little by little by little. As we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit within us, we begin to change and people begin to notice. And people begin to ask the question, why are you different? I am different because I have God within me. I'm different because I'm forgiven. And I'm different because he's changing me from glory to glory. He's changing me. And when we become a Christian, that becomes our lives. The Spirit of God begins to work within us. The Spirit of God begins to speak to us. He reminds us of the things that we are doing right now that we could do better. He counsels us. He encourages us. He, he, he speaks into our ear. And he says, there's a better way. He changes our stony heart into a heart of flesh, bit by bit. He doesn't change us in an instant. He changes us over a lifetime as we respond to the work of the Spirit within us. And because of that, because of what Jesus has done, and because of what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, we can be confident that our future is glorious. This is Romans 1 to 8 in a nutshell. You had it in 15 minutes. God is changing us from glory to glory. We're becoming day by day more like him. And for some of us, it's not quick enough. But it's happening. It's happening as we respond to him. For many, it's two steps forward and one step back, but it's still progress. <laughs> We're changing from the inside out as we submit to his change process. So be encouraged, the best is yet to come. If you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have said, Jesus, forgive me, 
for all I was and for all I've done. If the Holy Spirit has come to live within you, glory's coming. I tell you, it's coming. I was talking to someone the other day who's, who's got a terminal complaint. And I said, you know what? No matter what happens in your circumstance, you win. If God answers your prayer and you're miraculously healed, you win. If God does not answer that prayer and you're taken into eternity, you win. Because in an instant, you are gloriously, totally transformed into the image of Christ. All of those things that have been problems to you are gone. You have reached that stage of glory that Paul talks about in Romans. People, we win. It doesn't matter what happens in our lives, we win. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. Things can come against you. Problems can come against you. But if the Spirit of God is living within you, he takes those things and he works them together for good so that you still win. So the things that can come against you to destroy you actually make you better because the Spirit of God takes them, causes them to work together within you for good. And you win. If you stay on the train through the tunnel. Occasionally, people hop off the train. They get disappointed with God. They go, oh, I don't like this life. I thought things were going to be good, and they're not good. And I'm, This Christian life, I just can't hang it, hack it, and they hop off the train. Hop off the train in the middle of the tunnel. You stay in darkness. There's only one way into the light, and it's stay on the tra train. Stay on the train. The train will take you through the tunnel. The Spirit of God will work through in you and through you in the tunnel, and you'll come out where God wants you to be if you hang in there. That's the message of Romans Chapter 8. So the best is yet to come, people. The best is yet to come in your life. The best is yet to come in this church. As we look back in a few minutes at what God has done, the best is yet to come. What we've had is nothing compared to what we're going to have. The best is yet to come. But it's only half the story because we haven't got to the rest of Romans yet, and that's the rest of the story. The, the story of Romans is not a story about individuals, it's a story about a family. See, Jesus didn't come to just save individuals, he came to create a family, a new family of God, a new family of God called the church. This new family is going to be a powerful church, an effective church. And in the final chapters of Romans, Paul shows us how this new family should behave, how this new family should act, how this new family should live out the new life it's given so that this new family can go into the community and transform that community in the same way this new family has been transformed itself. That is the whole story of Romans in a nutshell. And as we move on to Romans, we're going to miss out, by the way, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because that talks about the old family, the Jewish family. Not that it's insignificant, it's just that it's a diversion that Paul goes through because he's answering a specific problem in the life of the church for that day. It's not a problem for us today, so we're going to give it a skip. I'm going to go over it in about five minutes, and then we're moving into Romans 12, because that talks about the family today, which is where we need to be. We're going to look at how we as a church can begin to function in ways that can change the society we live in. We're going to look at how we as a church can treat one another so that we become such a family that people want to be part of us. It's quite exciting, quite challenging. And I think you'll enjoy it, but that's not today. 
Father, I just want to thank you for what we have learned in the book of Romans. I thank you, Lord, that you have taken us on a journey. And Lord, I thank you that the journey's not over. It's only just begun. And we thank you that we can be part of what you are doing in this planet. In Jesus' name. Amen.